You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We know that Esther uh, uh, gives in to what Mordechai wants, uh, essentially, with a caveat, as we see here in Perek Dawa, the Pesach says, there are many that say that is the source of why we're fasting today. Um, again, there's two. There's another svar is that this was the day of the Muhammad, which of course meant that uh, the good Jews would be fasting uh, and davening to the Rabbonishon before the war began. Um, so, either way, clearly, Tainus Esther is definitely connected to the idea of how fasting uh, can affect things. And this was, of course, one of the things that Mordechai did not ask her to do. Mordechai asked her to go and be mevakesh l'schanen l'fnei ha-melech. Um, she adds the fasting. Then she says, after we do the fasting, which is Esther's addition to uh, the situation, then I'll go in, asher lo'i kados, lo chados, v'chasher avaditi avaditi. Okay, so that's the posik that Esther says. Um, the Gemara Megillah, quoting this uh, Pasik, says, Amar of Abba, Shalei Kedos, why? What do you mean, Shalei Kedos? Kol yoyim v'yoyim ad achshav ha'yisi ba'ones, v'achshav ani b'ratzah. So, meaning that this is not the dos that uh, you can't go to the king unless he gives you permission, which is a simple pshat in the Pasik. Mordechai says, go in even though you haven't been called. She says, well, you're not supposed to. Uh, you only have to wait for the king to call you. She says, I'll go. So she seems to be saying, I'm going to go in, even though it's not according to the rules. The Chazal say, Kedos means the dos of the Torah. That I'm going to go in, and this will violate, in a sense, a halacha of the Torah. What's the halacha of the Torah? Because kol yom Until now, even though Again, the assumption here is is that Mordechai and Esther are married. That was Chazal held. The Torah Tmima, uh, when he explains this, says, "Yeah, that as he says, that really Mordechai and Esther were married." And since Mordechai and Esther were married up until this point. Although she had slept with Achashverosh seemingly more than once, Chazal actually say for quite often in the winter and other times that was one of the reasons big sons of Theresh were were um, uh, were frustrated. Uh, one of the reasons they were frustrated was the um, fun that Achashverosh was having with Esther, but that was all called Ones. Achshav ani verotzin. Okay, which means that. What she's going to do now is to willfully go. She's not just going to be called and have to perform, but she's going to go in herself. And that is the difference between being Osir to Mordechai and being Mutter to Mordechai. And therefore, as the Torah Tumimah says, since I'm going on my own um, uh, volition, so that's Petidon Haviyosoli Kemoberotzon. Now, my connection to him is a willful connection, and that assers a, hus- a wife to a husband. Now, based on that, we go to the next part of the Pasuk that says, 
Hasher Avadati Avodati, which means, hmm, Kishem Shavadati mi base Abba Kach Oved Mimecha. Hmm, which means the simple shot, of course, in the Pasuk, the shot that Rashi tells you is the simple shot is, is that it looks like the jig is up anyway. It looks like there is going, I might die, but it looks like there's Xera for us to die anyway. So uh, at least I'll die in a heroic fashion and I'll try to do what I can, whether he puts me to death or not. That's the simple shot. But Chazal say what it means is, Hashem shavadati mi Hmm. Meaning very mundane. Up until like an average married woman would be able as the Maral explains in his beer on the on the Megillah, an average woman would have a right to always go home to dad. In fact, the Maral points out, the Gemara says that if a person makes a nether, that a person puts a nether on his wife, that she can't go to her back to her father's house, that he has, he has to divorce her and give her a ksuba. Because you can't make, you, you, you aren't allowed to make such a nether to keep a, a wife away from her father parents. Now, obviously, Esther can't, now, again, of course, this is very strange, because Esther has lost her parents anyway, right? So she doesn't have any father to go back to, or or she doesn't have a father anyway to go back to. Still, in in terms of the idea of what a normal wife would be, a normal wife who isn't the queen and stuck in a palace can go back to her parents' house. I can't. And that's what it's been this whole time that I've been stuck here. But now, but at least I had a connection to you. Now I'm going to lose that connection to you as well, because even though we we could still be friends in a way, but we cannot be married anymore. You're ushered to I will be ushered to you from this point from this point on. So that is the Gemara in Megillah, uh, as you can see. Rashi quotes it as a second pshat. Rashi starts the pshat, and he calls calls this the Medrash Chachamim. Okay, so. Uh, the Maral uh, says that, asks an interesting question here on this. Um, first of all, he says, um, what is that, why is it that Chazal take this Pasik and uh, obliterate the Pshat in the Pasik? So the Maral says the reason is, if you look at the simple Pshat, it sounds like she thinks she's going to die. Now that doesn't that doesn't sound like Esther, does it? Um, didn't she know she was being she was fasting? I mean, she shouldn't even talk this way, right? Right? That's the way. Uh, that's very negative, right? And especially Mordechai said that you know that there's going to God is still caring about them. There's still Revach Vatsala. So she shouldn't say that. She should say, "I'll go in and hopefully things will be well." Instead of Kashiravadati Avodati. Right? As if, yeah, I'm finished. Um, so that's the reason why Chazal say that it means it has to do with this halachic situation. Okay, now the Maral asks another question. The Maral asks, well, Mordechai didn't ask her to go in and, like, you know, and strip, right? He asked her to go in um, and to beg for the, the nation. And the truth is, is that even if you know, um, she isn't necessarily going in for the sake of sex, although I guess she will give Ahasuerus sex if that's what he wants, because she needs to ask him a favor afterwards, 
That's the Maral's question. He says, She doesn't have to, as you can see. I mean, look, maybe she goes in and Achashverosh still forces himself on her and she's not happy about it. So here the Maral again is dealing with a halachic point as well. Why is this more Ratzon than what has happened up until now? Up until now, Mordechai and Esther can be considered halachically uh, viably married, and she's considered uh, a rape victim consistently, and a rape victim is mutter to a husband. It's only Aisha's Kayan who can't sleep with her husband anymore, but a woman who is who is raped on right under duress, etc., she can't she is allowed to be back with her husband. And that's what the situation seemingly Chazal is saying here. Why over now can't we say that she didn't want it? So the Maral says, because I'm going because I'm going there willfully. And definitely the possibility is that he might then force himself on me, whether I like it or not. So that turns everything into Ratzon. That turns the whole act into an act of Ratzon. So that is the Gemara in Megillah. Now, before we think about this, we probably you know, should wonder, well, let's second. Um, isn't it true that this is one of the... Uh, if she was married to Mordechai, like Chazal say then Lachora, how she should have, she, maybe she should have died beforehand. Maybe she should have wanted to give up her life uh, before she was even taken. Because we know that, as we're going to see here in the Gemara, that this is one of the uh, Averos that it's considered, Yarog Yarog Yavor, that you should let yourself die. So there's almost two questions. The first question is, perhaps... Esther should have Esther should not have gone originally, should not have let herself be taken originally, and should have submitted perhaps to death originally. And the second thing is, it would seem, and this is really the point of really why, why I wanted to talk about this, is that if it's true that when it comes to Arayos, that you are supposed to die instead of doing them, here Seemingly, Mordechai knows that if the Mara was correct, that this is an act of Arayos that she is going to be doing, and Esther agrees. Lachora, Esther, and Mordechai are agreeing to do an act of an Avera. Is it so clear that you can do this act of Avera uh, in order to save Klal Yisrael? Now, most of you probably say, well, of course, you're going to save, there is no Jewish people. All right. But we'll see if this is that simple. And this is really um, what, what I wanted to explore. So the first thing is um, the uh, Gemara in Sanhedrin. Uh, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, uh, Now, you know, whenever you look at this Gemara, you wonder, why, why were they in an attic somewhere? Why were they in an attic uh, in Lud? Uh, to to like to decide this, and this was Rabbi Yochanan quoting Shimei Yotzdak and quoting what had been this assemblage that had decided. and part of it is because this was relevant. There was it was a period that people needed to know what they should give up their lives for. The the, the Roman persecution 
had um, the Roman persecution had proceeded to a point that they needed direction as to what should be the proper behavior. So it was a group of Rabbanim all together who decided that Yarog Vayavor, we'll see, meaning, let's see it again, I'm sorry, Yavor Vayavor meaning don't let yourself get killed. In other words, there were people who were submitting themselves to death when they didn't need to. Chutz, from Avodah Zahra, Givarites, and Shvi Those three, you can become a martyr for. But what they were trying to do was limiting martyrdom. Okay. So first the Gemara goes into an, uh, an interesting a question here from a Brisa from Rabbi Yishmol. Because Rabbi Yishmol says, even if it comes to Avodah Zahra, a person should live. A person should not, a person is forced. If a person says, bow down, is told by an overlord, bow down to this uh, idol, uh, sacrifice to this idol, if not, I'll kill you. Rabbi Shmuel says, do it. Right? Because it says, v'chai behem, v'lo shiyomus behem. Now, even though Rabbi Shmuel said that, he said, but that's only if it's happening in a private place. But if it's, if it's, if it's b'farhesia, there we have the Pasikhtakti, which means that basically what Rishmo is saying is that unless there's a, a tzibur around, even for a Vodizara, a person would um, uh, would submit and do the Avodazar. So the Gemara says that the people in Lud did not believe that Rabishmo was correct. They felt like a different Tana who says, we learn from the Pasuk of Kriyashma, that you have to give up your life for Avas Hashem. Now, Avas Hashem means loving God, showing that love in all possible ways. And that means, of course, when someone asks you to do Avodah Zorah, that is a denial of your love of God. And therefore, as it says, we say in Kriyashma every single day, twice a day, that that you're willing to die for your love of God. So that is the, how we know that Avodah Zorah, you have to give up your life for. Okay, now that's obviously, it's an interesting thing, you have Rabbi Shmuel. It's not, it's, it's, it is somewhat connected to the Purim story, obviously, because that is one of the reasons that Chazal give for why the Xer of Haman came down on us in terms of bowing down to um, the Heichal, of ne- the Tselem, I'm sorry, of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And was that a Vodazar or not? So this is somewhat relevant. However, we're talking about Esther and her particular situation, her thorny situation with Mordechai. So let's see about Gilearais v'shtvi chazdomen. So when it comes to Gilearais v'shtvi chazdomen, when the Torah describes the fact that a woman who is a, a young married woman who is being raped, uh, the Torah says that if you find her, and, you, and even though she's already been despoiled, that she is a, nothing should happen to her. That the rapist himself, of course, who has raped a married woman, is put to death, but the woman is not. And the Torah says, because it's based on this pasuk, Kikasher, Yokum Ish Nefesh So the Torah seems to say that, hmm, this rapist is basically almost like a murderer. 
And the same way when someone is being uh, manhandled to the point that they're going to be killed, that's what's happening to this girl, and you therefore you can't blame her for submission. So the, the Gemara asked, and this of course is, is Chazal asking, earlier than the Gemara itself from the Brisa, why do you need to say that? Well, why is it that the Torah has to tell you this is like murder? Hmm. It seems like it's it, it seems like it's coming to um, learn something from Rotzeach, but really Rotzeach is the one who is the benefit of this parsha. Why? Because what happens here in this pasuk is something called, and the, of course all of you here who are listening, but know what this is. It's called a hekish. In other words, kena dover means that that having sex with a married woman right, is tantamount, is, has similarities to murder, which means the heckish. So we go two ways with the heckish. One way is we know that the Torah writes when it comes to this woman, the Torah says that if it happens in a field, we say that we don't blame her for not screaming because we assume she was not a willful, uh, submit, she didn't submit willfully, but because she knew that nobody could save her. So Chazal learn out from there that if you could save her, you do save her, which means this is a very uh, vigilante justice. You have the right to kill the rapist. That's what Chazal learn out in the Gemara and Sanhedrin. That's called Nitin Latzila Benafsha. You can save her by killing her attacker. And that is the same thing with Ratzayach. This Pasuk teaches you that if somebody is about to assassinate someone else or shoot someone else, you have the right. Normally, you have two people in front of you. You don't know who is more worthy to live than the other. But if you see one threatening the other to the point that he's about to kill the other person, the Torah's machadish, you have a right to kill him, just like you can kill the rapist, if, if need be. Obviously, if you can, if you can, if you can, if you're a, a expert shot, then you can shoot him in the leg or shoot him in some other place. That's what you're supposed to do. But if you aren't able to do that, you have the right to actually kill him, and that's what you learn out from Nar Marosa. But what do you learn from Nar Marosa to Rotzeach? What you learn from there is the Gemara says is that just like when it comes to Rotzeach, it's you, you, you do not. Uh, do the Avera, you let the person kill you rather than you doing an action against someone else. Naramurasa, which stands seemingly for all sexual activity, Tehareg. Now, what's interesting here is that it says Tehareg, Va'al Tavor. Sounds like she should die. Okay, so we'll come back to that in a second. What it seems to be from this Gemara is that if you read it Tehareg, it seems to be saying that a married woman should die rather than let this happen. Although if it does happen, and she, as we see from the Pasuk, we don't consider her, uh, we, we don't consider her guilty to be killed, but it does say Tahareg. Okay. Um, the Gemara then says, well, how do you know that when it comes to Ritzicha, that you should die no matter what. So the Gemara says, it's illogic. If somebody comes to you and says, uh, the overlord comes to Reuven and says, if you don't kill Shimon, Reuven, I'm going to kill you. The, the case actually happened. Where someone came to Rob and says, I've been given the choice. 
They want me to kill this Peloni, and if I don't, they're going to kill me. So Rabbi told him the very logical idea. He says, you have to let them kill you. You, sh- you can't go and actively kill someone else. Why? Of course, you've heard about this many times. Sumak is either red or sweeter. The point, though, is, is that who's to say that your blood is sweeter or redder than the other person? Because when you have to do an action, how can you decide that you deserve to live more than someone else to the point that you're taking that person's life? Again, how this fit in when you know we talk about the famous Gemara Bar Patora about people that are uh, two people in a desert and one person has water and the other doesn't. Well, there you're not actually killing the person. There, um, you're just not giving him the stuff that you have, and he doesn't. Here, you have to go actually and and and, and kill this innocent person. Logic says that that can't happen. Logic says you have no right to do an act of murder. Let someone else kill you rather than you kill someone else. And now we turn that, because of the Torah, into Narumarosa as well. So, it turns out now that these three Averos, as we say, again, Avodah based on the Pasuk of Avas Hashem and Kriyashma. Ritzicha, because of logic. And Narumarosa, it might not be logical, but the Hekish bonds these two together. Okay, One, two more points. Then the Gemara says, this whole idea that Beis Nitzah said, that don't become a martyr, is only if it's not really shmad. Hmm. So in other words, Romans not liking Jews and some Roman you know, governor deciding to, you know, to force a Jew to do an Avera is not shmad. You know, unfortunately, again, I don't want to get into political politicizing here, but there was, uh, you might remember, I know uh, some of you listening are involved deeply in education, there was uh, situations in New York way before, remember that period before COVID where the big fear was that uh, the New York uh, state schools uh, or city schools were going to have to introduce uh, more secular learning and that the yeshivos were going to have to have secular learning, and they were they were sending uh, people there to uh, to monitor the amount of learning and the level of learning. And there was a call. The, this term was used. Shmad. There's a shmad. It's exera against Klal Yisrael. A shmad is occurring. Okay, no one second. So you, you have to be very careful when you use that term. Shmad means it comes like the same shorish of the word shmita, shamat. Which means it's completely, um, completely canceled, completely finished. Just like shmita is, you can't work the, the field or the loan that you owe is completely canceled with shmita shamat. So that's what shmat is. It's like we're trying to cancel your 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 your, your Judaism, and it has to be really rolled out uh, equally. The fact that there's one guy who wants to get his jollies and that doesn't mean that the government is involved in Shas Hashmad. But so, so you have to really have your ear to the ground to decide, is it really Shas Hashmad? Now, of course, the time of Hanukkah, that was clearly a Shas Hashmad. Eventually, what, what, um, the Bar Kokhba revolt erupted also during a period where there had been uh, the Hadrianic persecution that was called Shmad. So, as you can see here, that Shmad... If it is a shas hashmad, then 
whatever the Avera is, you should die for. And then we have the last thing, that even if it's not Shmad, but this jolly overlord, this uh, this fellow, is doing this bifarhesia. If it's bifarhesia, afivu mitzvah kale Okay. So, the big three, always. Everything else, b'shas ashmad, or farhesia. And the Gemara says that even if it's something which is not even a mitzvah at all, even if it's changing a type of shoelace. Again, I apologize for those of you that are familiar with this Gemara, but it is important to review in context of Esther. So the Gemara gets into what Farhesia is. Farhesia means 10 people know about it. Okay. The, the Gemara then asks, and this is really, the Gemara asks, Esther Farhesia have. Wasn't Esther Farhesia? Hmm. So Esther was Farhesia. So the Gemara's question is, it's not, the Gemara doesn't say it was a Shas Hashmat. But when Esther goes originally, it was Farhesia. So the Gemara assumes that Esther should have given up her life. Remember, we asked before this question: Should Esther have not? Should Esther have uh, allowed herself to be taken? Even once she's taken, Esther should say no, no, no. And even if it meant she would suffer the same fate that Chazal say happened to Vashti, that's what should have happened. Esther Farhesia, and why was it Farhesia? Right. It wasn't like they had cameras there, but people knew about it. So, and as we saw, as you can see in the Gemara before, Jews knew about it. So in other words, there were enough Jews that knew Esther was taken and enough knew what was going on behind the boudoir that that meant that it was a Farhesia. And Farhesia means, let me say it in, 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 in normal terms, the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem kicks in. And therefore, Esther should submit Esther should not submit, Esther should die. So even before our Pasuk and Paragdalid, the Gemara in Sanhedrin is asking, why didn't Esther let herself be killed rather than become taken by Achashverosh and please Achashverosh and become the queen? Of course, if that happened, we wouldn't have had the Purim story. But still, the Gemara is wondering, Esther was a good Jewish girl. Why did she not do this? Or why didn't Mordechai tell her to, to let her, that Mordechai, she should have screamed bloody murder? Or, and then let herself be murdered. So we have two answers. One answer is Esther Karka Olam Haita. Okay, and you've probably heard of this Gemara before. This is a very um, um, important idea. And again, I don't want to go into too much depth about this, but it really has to do with the nature. Again, the the literal words mean that Esther was completely passive. She was like the land itself. She was like the earth. So there's some that just say because a woman is passive. Now, Again, the, 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 the great Avni Nezer, Avram of Sochachov, and others, and, and Ramesha Feinstein, as we're going to see, you know, this is your site today, um, have a problem understanding that this means that Esther was completely like a stone, like she was completely lifeless. That seems to be a, a problematic. Um, you, you would assume that uh, if she would be completely lifeless, that, you know, there's no way Achashverosh would have been happy with that. Achashverosh would have chosen her. Um, so what does that mean, Karka Ola? 
there are some that say that. There are some Rishonim that say, um, and and that that it means complete resistance, um, and you know such things might be possible, and, and, and you know, maybe it does make sense in some way. But that it, it seems to go against the idea of what we have in the Megillah. Um, Rava has another answer. Rava says that it wasn't the Shas Hashmad. But it was Hanos Atzman, meaning it's not true Kiddush Hashem because Achashverosh wants it for his own benefit. It's not that Achashver. It's not that this is a prime moment of Kiddush Hashem for Judaism. And even though ten people know about it, but the fact that the non-Jew really wants it for his own purposes means that we it, that really sets the stage of what this is about. If he's trying to get the Jew to dis, be dismissive of his mitzvot, then that would be, if 10 people knew about it, the Jew would have to die. That would be the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. But here, what is primary is the desire of the non-Jew to, be, to have a benefit, to enjoy himself. And Rava, in fact, ruled that way. Rava said that, um, as you can see, Rava said that um, that if a non-Jew comes to a Jew and says, I want you to be Machal Shabbos for me, and if you don't, I'll kill you, well, it depends what his question is. If he's supposed to um, cut the grass in the, in the non-Jew's uh, yard and feed the non-Jews animals, then you know he isn't. He, he is he, what he's trying to do. He just wants to. He wants you to be uh, an animal trainer for him. He wants you to be the animal feeder. So therefore, um, that's considered for what he wants. But if he tells you, Jew, I want you to cut the grass and carry it to the river and throw it in the river. Then, Rava, Rava says, you see, what he wants to do is to get you, and if there, this goes on the supposition that there are a number of Jews around, then you know that he's trying to make a point against Judaism. Achashverosh is doing it for his own sake. Okay, so that is, that is the Gemara. Now, the Rishonim ask a question here. The Gemara says Esther was Farhesia. Why didn't the Gemara say, question earlier that it's one of the big three, right? <laughs> it's one of the big three. The Gemara answers, remember what the Gemara's answer is. The Gemara's answer is, is that, according to Abaya, that the passivity involved in the sexual act um, is enough to take away from the Avera that even though it's Farhesia, she shouldn't have to die for it. But what about the fact that she is being involved in Arayos. Because the Gemara doesn't say Esther. Remember, that's why I wanted to show you the Gemara. The Gemara starts with the level of the big three, you have to die no matter what. The Gemara should say, oh, Esther didn't die. The Gemara only brings in Esther when we say all Averis a person has to die for if it's done publicly. So it, from here, the Rishonim, some Rishonim say, you see that it's not, even though it says Taharag Va'al Tavor, 
that karka olam is a reason why being involved in sexual activity is not for a woman yarag val yavor. That if, of course, she shouldn't do it uh, willfully, but if the, if it's a threat of death, she's not considered a balas avera unless she takes a more active role in the situation. But if she's essentially passive, then it's not, uh, she's not awesome. Now, she doesn't have to lie like a log, but still, there's enough, the, the act is enough man-centered that she's off the hook if it's a question of being, of her life. Hmm. So where is it that Esther would have done the Aveir? She should have died for that. Again, according to this Gemara, again, the impression that this Gemara gives us is that the original Aveira of was not really an Aveira because she was being forced and a woman in general being forced to have relations is an act which is essentially passive. And because of that, she doesn't have to give up her life for that. Okay. Now, remember what we said before, that, but now she's considered usher to her husband, Mordechai, when she uh, goes in willfully. Hmm. So, it, 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 there, there seems to be a little bit of, of a difficulty here. Um, if she was considered forced before, so even though now there is a force, the fact that she is initiating the contact, as the morale said, that's enough to turn this whole act into a willful act. Let me just show you a little bit from Ramosha Feinstein on this. Moshe Feinstein is a, it's a chuva in Yeridea that he wrote when he was in 1934, when he was in Luban. I've, I've stated a number of times that I feel that the writings of Rav Moshe Feinstein, despite his clarity of thought that he had almost throughout his life, I think a lot of attention needs to be paid to what he wrote in his younger years before the tremendous burden of, 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 of running the show in America and answering questions and dealing with, right? Uh, when he was essentially under house arrest and answering questions to unique individuals or specific individuals, Rav Moshe really had a lot of time and he was able to develop his ideas, I think, in a more, uh, in, a, in a firmer, greater way. In other words, I, I argue for there being gradations in the significance of Ramesh's chuvas. Now, th- this chuva is, is, wasn't so relevant, Lamaisa. However, the younger of Moshe um, uh, was able, I think, to deal with things from a wider, bigger perspective uh, than when Rav Moshe eventually, of course, nothing took away from his, his love of the Jewish people and wanting to help them. But I would say the younger, more expansive chuvas that we find here represent in many ways Rav Moshe at the top of his game. So um, Rav Moshe deals with this Gemara. Um, and I, I want to show you uh, primarily this part. Moshe uh, said that he found in, uh, in the Shita Mekubetzas, quoting the Me'iri in Sanhedrin, um, that the Me'iri wonders 
uh, why is Avaya saying she's Karka Olam? Didn't she go? Didn't she take that path down to the road, right? When, 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 when Haggai uh, led her there, right? She didn't ask for anything, but she, but she, but she walks into the king. I'm not talking about what she does in Perik Hay. I'm talking about earlier in Perik Bays. So the Meiri answers, Esther lo Basically, Esther, whenever she was taken, had to be forced to Achashverosh. That's what the Meiri says. Why does the Meiri say that? Because otherwise, Karka Olam isn't true. The same way the Maral explained to us that since she initiated the desire to meet Achashverosh, so the Meiri feels that any sort of willfulness that a woman shows is already in agreement to the act, and therefore she would have to die for it. Rav Moshe says, It makes no sense, Meiri. Then Achashverosh would know that she's a Jew. He sees that they have to force her into him. They have to like tie her feet and drag her in. And it's for sure the Gam Hayaharga. He would have killed her. So even though one of the Rishonim says it, and, he, and maybe he's quoting another Rishonim might have said it, Moshe says it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't say it was a miracle. The Gam, my time Why is it if it's true that on that path that she took from Hegai, that she had to be forced, they had to tie her legs, and they dragged her in to Achashverosh? Again, why does the Meiri say this based on the Gemara we just saw in Sanhedrin? He says, he says it can't be, because the t- the pasuk gives her a praise that she didn't ask for any extra perfume. She just went in with her plain, uh, you know, w- without extra fancy uh, accoutrements. So she didn't ask for anything. The Torah should say it was much worse than that. The, the Pasuk in the Megillah, I'm sorry, I said Torah. The Pasuk in the Megillah should say, It should have been that she probably made herself disgusting and, and, and wanted to, to look like, 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 like the least um, seductive woman in the world. The Megillah doesn't say that. It's in the Meiri, the Shita, I don't care. It's a mistake. Ubavadai Holcha a love baatsma kishakarla. Vindarima kenderach ishve ishto. Shekola chonish osta baatsma mishum dulaisimuchiev swimter atsma lemisalabaya. Why? Because when because the maisa veir itself is karka olam. Meaning everything else that's connected, getting yourself in the proper dress, everything else involved in it, the type of attitude, all of that is not the Aveira. The Aveira itself is that, that moment of sexual contact, 
And that, Abaya says, is karkaola. Everything else before and after, that doesn't make a difference. Karkaola means that moment. Sometimes less. But that is what it's about. And therefore, Esther, anything else she would have done, she was forced to, to do. That is the way Rav Moshe Feinstein explains Abaya, and he pushes out the Meiri. Okay, so we're still left with understanding um, why what, what happens later is worse. So for that, I want to turn, for the minutes that we have left, to two interesting chuvas. Uh, one is from the Marik, and you can see the Marik was born in 1420, dies in 1480. He's one of the last of the Rishonim, the Marik, Rabbi Yosef Kolon. Now, there was a woman who had willfully uh, engaged in adultery with another man. Now, she's a Jewish woman, but she said she didn't know that this was also. Now, what sort of woman is this that has not been taught? I don't know. Maybe she, again, I leave it up to you to figure out how in the world this woman would believe that this act was allowed according to the Torah. But she did not know. So the question is, that seems to be the facts. Can the husband take her back? So the Marik says, we don't call her a shogeg to let her come back to her husband. Because she knew she was married, and she knew that marriage means, although she maybe not know the laws of the Torah, she understand marriage means that you're connected to one husband. And she knew that this was considered znus. So, and the, the proof is, take a look in the Parsh of Sota. The Parsh of Sota says that if a man kisishte ishto, it doesn't say, and she will betray God. It says, Umola Bo, she'll betray him. It doesn't say it's a betrayal in God. She doesn't have to be to understand the laws of the Torah, but she knows what marriage is. And a betrayal against her husband, although, listen to what I'm saying, although in terms of the Torah, she has, she has no knowledge, and she might think the Torah allows this, she might think that the Torah doesn't punish you for this, but she knows that in a, in, in a, in a uh, societal sense, that this is a betrayal in the marriage, a betrayal in the marriage, despite the fact that an ignorance of Torah, the Marik says, means that she is a sota and she's also to her husband. The Marik proves this from Esther and from the Gemara that we started out with. Here it is. I'm going to prove to you, he says, um, it doesn't have to do with she knowing that it's Osir. She didn't know it was Osir. She still cannot live with her husband anymore. Why? Look at Esther. Esther said that she won't be able to live with Mordechai, and that's what Chazal tells us. 
it's clearer than an egg in yogurt. You can eat an egg in yogurt. You don't have to think that the egg is meat because it came from a, a, a it came from a uh, an animal's body. Everybody knows an egg. You can eat eggs and milk. Kutach is a type of yogurt, so you can eat the egg and milk. Every because Esther did not do any avera when she goes in in Parakdalid or in Parakay. It wasn't even a nindun avera. It was a mitzvah that she did. The Marik writes. Shehitzila kol Yisrael, because she saved the Jewish people. You cannot call that an Avera, what she was doing. But she could still be usher to her husband. Okay. Um, why? The, the Navi, the, the, the Pasuk tells us, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. And Chazal say that she had Ruach HaKodesh at that moment. Hmm. So, in fact, Chazal tell us that Esther was one of the seven prophetesses. And where do they prove that from? They prove it from the fact that it says that she, she was enclosed in royal spiritual garments. She must have been a prophetess. So um, that was the moment that she becomes usher to Mordecai. Are you going to say that she got Ruach HaKodesh? With an act that was uh, an act that was usher for her to do, the two things can't go together. Lo you have to say that she did a great mitzvah. And true, Karkaolam was also true the second time. He says you see the same thing with Yael, The Torah says she's one of the greatest women. She she was married. And she submitted herself to to relations with another man while she was married. So, but we say that she is also great because she was trying to save the Jews from this terrible murderer, this general Sistro, who could come back and do terrible things. Now, That is the Marik. We're going to stop in a couple of minutes here, but I just want to show you that this Marik became relevant with another case that occurred. It's pretty graphic, so I apologize. But here it is. There's a story that happened. There was a group of people that were traveling. And one of them had his wife with them, a bunch of Jews. It was one evening, this was from Yaakov Reicher, the Shavuz Yaakov, in the beginning of the 18th century, 17, early 1700s. So, they, it was one evening, and they went to a hotel near the forest, and who should they meet there? Some terrible Anche Buyal, a band of murderers, and they would definitely have killed this Jewish band for the money they had. They begged, don't kill us, we'll give you money, don't kill us. So the wife, the woman that was there, had an idea. Her plan is that maybe if she would allow the men to have their way with her in exchange for the lives of the people. I guess, I don't know if they were, sounds like they took their money anyway, but they were going to kill them. 
So then the question is if the woman would, would consent to do this, perhaps they would let the people live. Her husband said, okay. And, it, and in fact, the, these, this group of thugs agreed. And the group of thugs had their way with this woman and she saved the lives of the whole troop. Now the question was, can the woman go back to her husband and be married to her? It would seem that she did it out of complete force. It was a complete onus. So what's, what is the halacha? So Rabbi Yaakov Reischer quoted the Marik. And he says that um, you see that from the Marik that she's still asur on Mordechai. So you see, he asur labayla. Now, up until now, she wasn't asur because she did not initiate it. But if the fact that there, it's not the, it's, again, let, let, let's say it better, the way the Rabbi Yaakov Reischer says. Up until now, Achashverosh is calling her for the sake of having the sexual activity with her. Therefore, all of it is packaged as an ones. Whereas here, what is the reason why Esther there's another Xera. And she's doing it willfully in order to save them. So that is not being forced. Again, it's a little different than the morale. The morale says that, again, the, the sex might be forced, but she's definitely initiating going in there. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov Reischer is saying that clearly here, the, since the Ahasuerus is not asking for it originally, so therefore um, you cannot say that the whole act is considered an ones. Sort of the same thing. But it turns out that because of that, it's still called Ratzon. And in your case also, in the case that was asked, also, Rabbi Reischer said that the husband, as you can see, would be usher, uh to his wife, as you can see. Um, so that is the, this psak. Now, the Neide Behuda wonders um, if you can make a comparison. In other words, Neide Behuda says that um, it would seem that there's a big difference between saving a band of people to saving the whole Jewish people. And it's possible what the Marik has told us, that this was a great mitzvah, and that a woman is allowed to do this, to save is only when you're talking about saving everyone. Now, if you think about it, there's really, you could go either way on this. The Nodibut have felt that, that what Esther did was for the sake of saving every Jew that could be found to, to, to cancel the decree. Whereas, in the case of Rabbi Yaakov Reischer, the case of the band in the forest, 
it was only however many Jews were there. On the other hand, right, there was a lot of people. And the deal was made. In other words, Esther is still in doubt whether this is going to work. <laughs> in other words, even if Esther submits, Akashverosh might still say, I'm not taking it back. Whereas here, it was that forest somewhere in, in, in Poland, wherever it was, it was worked out originally that, yes, she'll submit and the lives will be saved. What's, what's, what's crucial here is that according to Rabbi Yaakov Reischer, once you have someone who is, um, is, is, is it's considered the lives of many, then we're going to assume that despite the fact that she might be ushered to her husband, but it's not considered an Avera at all on her part. Now this came up, I'll end with this, I said I'm going to end with this, with a shayla that came to Rebel Yoshev about a woman, a young a religious woman, who was in the army that was asked to become a spy. And part of her spying was because she spoke Arabic and she was going to be placed in uh, some uh, Arab country. And there she was going to, you know, uh, become this Matahari and uh, and dis- disguising herself and basically get the secrets that were necessary to bring back to uh, the Israeli government. Now, again, were those, was it, was it like Haman? Was it like it's the, all Jew, the fate of the whole Jewish people? Or if we get these secrets, we're going to be able to know where, um, you know, where these uh, hidden weapons are. And we're going to be able to save um, things. We're able to save more Jews in the future. You can see that this would be dependent between the Nodi Behuda and Rabbi Yaakov Reischer. According to Nodi Behuda, even though it's true, you know, maybe by her becoming the spy and sleeping with these men, she would be able to discover state secrets that the Israeli government would now use to be able to save Jews. But was it was it the, was it all of the Jewish people that are being saved? According to Rabbi Yaakov, doesn't have to be the way. As long as it's Hatzolus Rabim, this act uh, would be uh, permitted. Now, again, it might be because now. <laughs> And according to the Nodi Behuda, it shouldn't be. And I think that's what Rav Yoshev was worried about, whether you know whether you have a right uh, to give her this advice uh, to take this job. I think the other question here that we need to ask is, based on our discussion, what would be if a man was involved in this situation? In other words, is all of this, ever, it would seem from the language of the Marik that it was this you know, saving the Jewish people has to be this great thing, is it only a woman? Is it only a woman because what she's doing at the end of the day is a passive act, as Ramosha says, despite all the coquettishness and the preparation, the act itself is passive, and therefore it's only a woman because of the passivity plus this factor? Or would you say that any time you have a mitzvah to save the whole Jewish people, or right, which is Hatzolus Klaus or Hatzolus Rabim, Maybe any Avera would be allowed, even an active Avera that a man would do, a sexual act that a man would do, or any any type of active of the three Averos, um, right? In terms of of now, uh, <laughs> it, it's complicated because you know, the, the Gemara talks about uh, 
what happens when you're supposed to be um, uh, uh, marauders come to a city and the marauders say that we will kill everybody in the city unless you give us one of yours, one person to kill. So it's a Tosefta in Trumos. It says that you have to let yourself all be killed. Hmm. And not give one of the people to death. However, if they indicate somebody specifically, then he's already, in a way, marked for death. Like Sheba Basbichri. But before that, it would seem that, hey, if I, you know, we're going to kill one person. But we're killing one person, we're saving a whole seaboard. Right? Shouldn't it? Right? So it would seem that, that this idea that the Marik tells us that you're saving the whole Jewish people seems to be only connected to a woman in this type of action. Whereas if it's a man is in this situation, the, the Tosefta tells us that you can't kill a person. You can't, you're not even killing him. You're handing him over to be killed. You're not actually sticking a knife in him. You're handing him over to be killed. And, 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 and the, we are taught that this is us or to do, even though killing one can save many. So uh, it, it would seem from here that this would be limited only in this case. Um, although, again, one could definitely um, you know, perhaps wiggle around some sort of distinction. Aikshia, uh, thanks for being with us. And Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.